as our country moves further away from God, from godly values, many of us Christians are wondering, how can we remain true to God's ways in such an environment? How can a follower of God successfully navigate this changing landscape? Where can we be flexible in our lifestyle? And where must we hold the line? Does God have a word for us? Well, thankfully, the answer is yes. Because we're not the first believers to ever experience a clash with our culture. In fact, the people of God have often been characterized in the Bible as strangers in a strange land. The sermon series we're starting this morning is from the book of Daniel. And it will help us understand how to be a follower of God and how we can live successfully for God while living in a hostile environment. Even better, this series will help us see how God can use our lives as beacons of truth and beacons of light to other people, people that are, that are yet enslaved to paganism around us. This message series is based mostly on the book of Daniel, but we're going to make also some use of the epistles of Peter, First and Second Peter. Um, I am indebted to the Vineyard Church that is in Columbus, Ohio, near Ohio State University, which is, had preached about a year and a half ago a similar series of messages and, and uh, gave me the idea for some of the sermons that we're going to be seeing in this series that starts today. And even today's message is based on a message by Pastor Rich Nathan uh, that used it, he used at the Vineyard Church. But you know, every, every message as we go through that and as we've uh, kind of planned out what we're going to be doing is going to be uniquely tailored to New Hope Christian Church and to the Lord's ministry here. Uh, but I think there's some really encouraging things for all of us within this series. The series is based on uh, Daniel, but also the Apostles' letters, First and Second Peter. And I wanted to uh, read from that a verse in Second uh, First Peter chapter two verses eleven and twelve, uh, which I think are kind of a even a theme verse for this series. So uh, follow along on the screen. Peter says, "There, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day." He visits us. I want you to note that Peter knew that we were strangers and aliens. You know, we, we don't belong here. We're, we're just pilgrims on a, on a journey through this place. It's not our home. There's another home that we're waiting for someday. And we don't really belong where we're currently residing. We don't have the same loyalties, the same values as the people living around us. And we dare not embrace their standard of living. Their, their value for life, their worldview. We are citizens of heaven. We are members of God's family. And we must always remember that we belong to him. So let us begin by recognizing, by confessing, this is our conviction. This is our, our motive. This is our mission. This is our status. To be strangers in a strange land. A land that is strange to us. That we never can feel quite at home in. We're nomads living in a place that is not our home. So do you understand that? Do you see that as Christians? Let's begin at that point. 
It is uh, important for us to remind ourselves of this because sometimes we're just living life. Sometimes, you know, we're all caught up in the schedule. Uh, We're trying to run from here to there just to, to, to balance everything and keep it going. And sometimes we get looking a lot like the world, don't we? We get looking a lot uh, kind of like, like chameleons do. You know, you start uh, reflecting the environment that you're living in. You take on the look, the feel, the characteristics of your environment. Some Christians, you know, have adapted themselves so well to the world that they almost become indistinguishable from the world. So let me share three photos with you this morning of creatures that clearly resemble where they are. Can you see and identify them? First of all, what is that? It's a dragonfly. Doesn't he look like his environment? Doesn't he almost disappear in the landscape there? What is this second photo? A little harder to see, isn't it? There's a frog there. Does everybody see the frog? Some people don't even see the frog. Okay. The frog is right here. He is so well disguised. God has made him so that he can hide where he needs to hide. And then the third photo. Do you see the cheetah down there kind of taking a nap, I think? Yeah. Man, he he just blends in with everything. I want to ask you a question as a Christian this morning. As we begin, strangers in a strange land, let me ask you a question. This is a very, very serious question to begin with. Does anyone around you, besides your immediate family, does anyone know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you sure? You know, is there something in your life, something that is distinguishable, kind of a kind of a marking, you know, a, a characteristic, an attitude, a lifestyle that somehow identifies you as a Christian? You know, I'm not talking about the fact you wear a cross as a jewelry, you know. I'm talking about the way you live that other people say there's something different about you. There's something like Jesus about you. And maybe you, you even have, have declared, you've said to them, that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. Maybe not. But is there something in your lifestyle or priorities that sets you apart from your pagan neighbors, from your pagan family members? I mean, I'm not, not trying to put down pagans. I'm trying to say people that are not committed to Christ, people that are not surrendered to that lifestyle. Is there something distinct about you and me? Because there should be. I said that this study is going to be based mostly on the book of Daniel, and that's because in the days of Daniel, the Israelites were taken from their homes and taken to a land that they didn't want to live in, a foreign land named Babylon. And as they were taken to Babylon, you know, they must have been wondering, you know, what's going to happen to us? Are we even going to survive this? You know, where are they going to put us? What are they going to make us do? And how am I going to hold on to who I am once I get there? And that's the feeling that I want us to have this morning. Even though you've lived in America perhaps all your life, you're an American citizen, you grew up in this culture, you know it in and out, do you realize this is not where you belong? Do you realize this is not your home or mine? Any good study of the book of Daniel must begin by setting the scene historically. So let's try to do that. And the book of Daniel covers a time period back in the days of Daniel during an exile to Babylon about 605 B.C., so many, many years ago. God had predicted this exile for many years through his prophets. It was a result of the Israelites' sin. Their particular sins were were basically that they were living like their pagan neighbors. (laughs) They were too much like the people around them that did know God. 
They were worshiping even their gods and goddesses. It wasn't just, you know, in, in the, they worked like them and they, they kind of looked like them. They dressed like them. It was that they went and they worshiped the other people's gods and goddesses. So that while they were still home, while they were in the promised land God had given them, they were already not living distinctly as the people of God. This was a big problem, and this was what led to the exile. And so as they're going into a foreign land, taken against their will, how would they ever live for God once they're in a foreign land? This is a big question, and a big question for us as well. The Jews exiled to Babylon came in three phases, about a period of 20 years it took for all of it to be completed. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, took down the walls, took down... Uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem, and uh, they they carried off a lot of the temple wares, a lot of the valuables of the temple, and over a period of years, about uh, several several thousand thousands upon thousands, really, of Jews were taken to Babylon in exile. And as it turned out, they were there for at least seventy years, some of them even longer than that, before they were allowed to return home to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And this is all according to God's plan. You know, there's, there's a historical story of Nebuchadnezzar coming in, destroying Jerusalem and carrying them off, but also the word of God says it was because God brought the Babylonians in as an act of judgment upon his own people. Now, the Babylonians thought that they had conquered Judah because of their own skill, because of their own strength, because of their own intelligence. But it was clear that it was God using them to accomplish his will. And through this, God was trying to teach his people a very powerful lesson. So let's read together now from the opening verses of the book of Daniel. And uh, you can follow on the screen or you can pull out a Bible there and look it up in front of you and kind of keep it close by as we go through this this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself from the, with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So in about 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar besieged, overran Jerusalem. The, the king Jehoiakim was deposed, taken to Babylon and changed. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Solomon's temple uh, that had stood for almost 400 years and carried a bunch of the articles off 
and put them in his own God's treasure places. Thousands upon thousands of Jews were taken in exile and uh, torn from their homes. Many of their family members already killed in the battles that had happened. Uh, They had little to live for, really. They hoped to return to their homes eventually, but in fact, it was only their grandchildren that got to do that. And uh, they weren't even sure that was going to happen at this moment. The prophet Jeremiah, if you've ever read Jeremiah, told them to go ahead. You're going to be here a while. Make life there. Make a new life in Babylonia. Jeremiah 29. They were to get work. They were to find places to live. They were to make a go of it in this unfamiliar, ungodly place. They were strangers in a strange land, but they were to continue living as the people of God until the day God would take them home. And eventually he did. That's exactly what he did. Nebuchadnezzar was this ruthless pagan king that had expansion on his mind. He was always looking for his kingdom to grow and expand. And so he took back to Babylon. Each time he conquered somebody, some of the most promising citizens of each country that he conquered so that the Persian Empire could continue becoming stronger and stronger. And in the opening chapter of this book of Daniel, then we learn that he had this enterprising spirit toward the Jews as well. And he ordered that the brightest and the best young men of the exiles would be searched out so that he could educate them and train them in the Babylonian way of doing things. He put them in the rigorous course of training to maximize their potential so that they could benefit his ever-expanding kingdom. He chose these young men on the basis of very worldly standards of desirability. He chose them because they are of royal blood or nobility. He chose them because they were handsome and physically fit. They were intelligent. They were quick to understand new things. And they were excellent, excellent both in their attitude and their aptitude. And then he took some of the vast resources that he had at hand. And he poured them into these young men's lives. They were given the best diet. They were given the best routine and, and uh, training. The Babylonians could possibly offer them. No expense was spared. He wanted them to advance as rapidly as possible so they could serve him and the nation of Babylon well. Now, Nebuchadnezzar mistakenly believed that the Babylonian way was the best way to live. Uh, Don't we say that? You know, the American way to live is better than any other country. And it's a kind of a patriotic thing. It's kind of a national pride kind of thing. And the Babylonians had some pretty good reason to believe that. After all, they were the richest country on earth at the time. And they had conquered everyone else that they had gone in battle against. They, they believed it was to the advantage of these young men to comply with everything he set out to do for them. And they, in turn, then would benefit his ever-expanding kingdom once they conformed to the Babylonian way. Now, we know Daniel. We've heard of Daniel. He's one of the brightest and best, and he accepted the fact that he was chosen, he was placed here in this this position, in this regimen, but he refused what? He refused to defile himself with the Babylonian way whenever it contrasted or contradicted the way of life God had prescribed for the people of God. And Daniel had at least three friends we know of that also refused to be defiled. Like us, they believed God has a better plan. God has a better way. And that is the way we have chosen to live rather than the way the world lives. 
Now, I want you to think of something here. Pastor Rich Nathan brought out something that just really intrigued me. He said, think about where we are in our culture, and it happens over and over again. He says this, Christians ought always to feel uncomfortable in whatever culture they're living, whether it's first century Rome or 12th century France or 20th century China or 21st century America. We're citizens not merely of our country, but citizens of another kingdom, as the Apostle Paul says. Followers of Christ ought always to feel uncomfortable with their surrounding environment, whether it's their workplace or in politics or in school or at the university. Because there are times when the difference between the way the citizens of God's kingdom approach life and the way the citizens of this world approach life are totally opposed. (laughs) And we have to choose the way that God gives us. And what makes the story of Daniel so remarkable is that Daniel and his friends not not only live for God privately or, you know, just in their worship or, or in their devotion to God, but they lived it publicly. They took whatever came their way, but they just lived for God. They, they just lived out as a public witness in a society that didn't know their God, didn't care about their God. They had high-profile positions, and they maintained a public witness uh, that was often highly antagonistic to their faith. And they succeeded. They succeeded in this antagonistic culture while they remained faithful, both privately and publicly. How did they do that? Well, we're going to find that out in the next couple months. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple and took its sacred objects and artifacts back to Babylon, put it in the treasuries of their gods, they were claiming superiority over the Israelites' God. The Babylonians were saying basically, Our God's stronger than your God. Ha ha. Our God is bigger than your God. Look what we did to you. Look what our God allowed us to do. We raided your temple. We took your sacred objects. Your God couldn't even protect his own things. The Babylonians were very proud of their way of life. They boasted in what they had been able to accomplish. And the name, the very name Babylon, is a symbol in the Bible for a way of life that is opposed to God. And now they began to force their Babylonian ways on the people of God. So let me ask you a couple questions here. Are you aware that there's a big difference between God's ways and the ways of the world? Are you aware that there's a conflict between Babylon and Jerusalem, which is God's way of doing things? Do you see the conflict today in our prevailing culture in America and the culture of the kingdom of God? And are you aware that we have to make a choice? Will we go with the culture or will we go with God? So Nebuchadnezzar promises these young men that he's going to train them in the ways of the Babylonians and it's going to be good for them. He was giving them, in his mind, the opportunity of a lifetime. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians did to try and convert the Jews to a Babylonian way of thinking. This is is important, and you might want to write it down. The first means of conversion to the Babylonian way was to identify the best and the brightest among them, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He sent people out, and he said, Ashpenaz, go out and figure out the best of the best that they have. Figure out the people who qualify as the cream of the crop. People without any physical defect, people that were handsome and brilliant, and he targeted them to be converted to the Babylonian way of life. The second thing he did to convert them was to isolate them. 
to isolate them from uh, their families, to isolate them from their backgrounds, from their upbringing, and from their traditions. Basically, he cut them off from their roots, and he said, we're going to give you new roots. We're going to give you a new family. We're going to give you a new connection, a new community. And this is what uh, Daniel uh, says in verse 3 about this, that, that this is what happened. He set us apart. He put us in a special place, and he isolated us. And at this point, Pastor Nathan makes a really neat point, a side note that's worth repeating. He says there is an almost exact parallel between what is going on here in Daniel 1 and what happens when a young man or woman leaves home and their church and their friends and their traditions and the perspectives of their parents and heads off where? For college. Think about this for a minute. They leave their Christian youth group. They go to another city where they go to live in a dormitory of a secular university with a roommate whose values may be completely antagonistic to a Christian way of life. For many of them, it is the first time that they are alone as their values and beliefs face reality and they must figure out how they're going to live. And so, big question, you know, how am I going to live my life now that I'm on my own, now that I make my own decisions? And in fact, when Pastor Nathan's son went to a state university, he and his wife went to a parent's orientation. You know, they always have those as you start out there. And at the orientation, a representative of the university had the nerve to say that she was excited to have these students there because the very purpose, the word she used, the very purpose of the college was to challenge all of the students' formerly held opinions and beliefs and to open their minds to a totally new way of thinking. Uh, that's pretty arrogant. Not, not the thing I would probably choose to say to their parents. But this is the kind of mindset that Nebuchadnezzar had. We have something better for you. You were raised this way. You were raised in this very shielded, guarded, kind of subdued. Uh, you, know, you weren't free. You did not understand. You did not have the, the privilege of being raised in our environment. And we're going to give you something better than you ever had. And so this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing for these young men. He has, he has identified them, and then he's isolated them, and now he begins, thirdly, to indoctrinate them. The indoctrination is what occurred when the Babylonians taught these young Jewish men the Babylonian way of life and the Babylonian perspective on life. They taught Babylon's cherished history from their viewpoint, and Babylon's technology and Babylon's advanced contributions to the world, the way of doing things was taught as superior to any other way of life. And they wanted to totally ingrain this way of life into their thinking, to their emotions. And so they went on a fourth way of converting them culturally, and it was indulgence, to indulge them, to give them a taste of the good life, <laughs> to... Uh, dangle prosperity and comfort in front of them, to give them the richest foods to eat, the best wines to drink, to appeal to their physical desires. And they were saying, you know, let them feel with their five senses how much better the way of Babylon is than the way they knew before. By giving them this luxurious, extravagant way of life that they had never experienced before, the Babylonians were creating a new and greater desire for the things of the world. And isn't this something that also happens sometimes to our young people? You know, it's just set against a, you know, maybe a more strict way of living or a more, you know, standard-filled or value, 
valuable, valueful way of living against a free lifestyle and independence and indulgence in whatever would satisfy a person physically. And by that, the Babylonians hoped that they would never be satisfied to go back. They would want to stay Babylonian. The fifth and final means of culture conversion is identity confusion. The Babylonians tried to get these Jewish young men to question who they were by changing their names. They literally changed their names, and we read about that. You know, back at that time, Jews named their children names that incorporate a shortened form of the word, the Hebrew word for God, which was often E-L-L, or another one which was I-A-H. And uh, it would be E-A or Ja. We know that a lot of words for God have these names, like Bethel is the name of house of God. So we see in the case of these four men, the names Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the name of God is put right in each of their names. Their parents named them that so that they would be identified with the Lord God. But Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians changed their given names. They incorporated into their names the names of Babylonian gods. Daniel's new name was Belteshazzar. Hananiah became Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And Azariah became Abednego. So the Babylonians are deliberately doing everything they can to convert them to the Babylonian way of thinking. Day after day, they'd been called by a certain name, a godly name. Now they have a new name, a new identity. So the Babylonians want. What about Daniel? How did he respond to the culture around him? We've already said Culture is saying, do this. Daniel says, well, I can go along with part of this. I can see the benefit of part of this, but I'm going to draw a line here. I'm going to resolve that I'm not going to do whatever will corrupt me, whatever will uh, be different than what God has taught me to do. He decided he would not be corrupted by the Babylonian mentality or the value system or the worldview. He would live, he would do his best for God, but he would do it for God. He would do it as a child of God, as a follower of God's ways. And Daniel, we will learn, excelled in Babylon. He became a person of great influence, not because he gave up his values in order to embrace the Babylonian way of life. No, he became a person of great influence because he held on to God's ways and his convictions. Then God used him to influence the entire Babylonian nation and even the kings of Babylon over the next 60 years of his life. It's an amazing story. So what was put upon these young men in Babylon is no different than what is put upon us day after day here in 20th, 21st century America. Because the world is trying to convert us. It's trying to squeeze us into its mold to make us one of them. So let's review the means of cultural Conversion by our culture around us. The ungodly culture around us and the evil one behind that wants to identify us as a target. You know, we're, we're, a, we're an enemy. We're, we're somebody to be subdued or somebody to be converted, somebody to be changed away from a child of God to not a child of God. And the ungodly culture around us isolates us, if possible, from each other and from church and from uh, uh, godly things that might influence us for God so that we feel alone 
and we become much more vulnerable. It tries to isolate us even from the truth, you know, give you a different set of truth, a different way of, of looking at things. And, and this takes us to the third thing, that the ungodly culture around us tries to indoctrinate us, give us new education, better education, supposedly. A new way of thinking that would free us up so that we don't have to serve God or obey God anymore. We can do what we want to do. And then the ungodly culture tempts us to indulge in the pleasures of this world. And many of us you know, have been guilty of just going along with the way the world lives in the physical things of this world, enticing us to follow the ways of the world rather than the ways of God. Enticing us through our senses, through our feelings, you know, through even physical desires that would lead us away from God. And even the final one is true, that there's an identity confusion. We're going to change what it means to be a Christian. You don't have to follow everything. You can change up the Bible if you want to. You can change what the Word of God says. Or you can say, no, it doesn't really mean that. We'll leave that part out. Or we'll, we'll change the meaning of that part so that it can accommodate and it can go along with what the culture wants to do. And so the same kind of conversion attempt is being made on our lives. And we need to recognize that. And we need to, first of all, decide that we're going to hold on to who we are and hold on to our convictions as the people of God, as the citizens of heaven, just as Daniel did. And we're going to resolve that we will not be defiled by such things. We will not follow the ways of the world which are opposed to God. And we will remember that we are strangers in a strange land. We don't belong here. And we will not embrace Babylonian ways or Babylonian thinking. It's a tough road. It's a difficult thing to go against the grain, isn't it? It's difficult to be that one person out in the middle of the stream that's just standing there when everybody else is just rushing past you. But you're holding fast and you're holding firm for your convictions and for your beliefs. But that is what we are called to do. And that is what Daniel did so successfully that we're going to learn a lot from him. So we hope you'll be along for the journey. I hope you'll be part of the study. I encourage you to read the book of Daniel in, in its entirety. It's not really that long, but especially the next few chapters, we're going to spend some time there, and uh, we're going to learn a lot from Daniel and his friends as these weeks unfold. So God bless us in this journey and in what we learn and how we can live as a result of his word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you would be with us today uh, in our thinking. We are uh, constantly being impacted by our culture. We have uh, many things that barrage us and, and uh, try to, to throw off our thinking. Uh, we get just exhausted sometimes and we get confused. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by our circumstances and we're no longer even thinking. We just, just go through the next, next thing. Just go from one thing to another, never stopping to think who we are or what we are supposed to be doing. Sometimes we forget that we're strangers in a strange land and we just live like everyone else. We forget that we are the people of God, that we have been called to a new way of life in Christ. And we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And I pray today, Father, that we would be reminded of these things over these weeks together. And that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would admonish us uh, through the words of Daniel and through his life and his example uh, that we would learn what we need to learn here. Uh, bless each person. 
uh, as we seek you with all of our heart, uh, that you have promised that you will answer us, that you will uh, uh, answer our prayers, that you will accomplish in our lives what you want to accomplish when we yield our lives to you. We pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you uh, sing with us, please, that God would give us faith. Give us faith, Lord, that we could live for you. Stand with us, please. Thank you.